0: Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. One of the best in the business with VO, voiceover. His name is Patrick Craley. He's the most sought-after voiceover teacher and voiceover artist in North America. He's been performing and teaching for 40 years, and as a performer, he has created voices for over 4,000 and counting cartoon characters. He's at the top of the top 10 all-time list to be cast for animated TV shows. You've heard of Mel Blanc? He's in that kind of conversation, if you will. Absolutely. As a teacher, Pat has guided more performers into meaningful voiceover careers than anyone in the history of VO instruction. He lives and works out of Hollywood Heights, California. Please welcome Pat Fraley.
1: Wow, was a job talking to Michael James Moran. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, that's, a, that's a little bit of my crank, which will be, you used to call it on my epitaph. It's on my Wikipedia.
0: <laughs> the but truth is...
1: what I've <laughs> ever done, Michael, or will do. Krang, I'll die with.
0: Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailor solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.beardynamic.com. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied OrLex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from OrLex Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Auralex.com for more information. And we're for creators. The amazing thing, you can, but I mean, what you just did and that special effect is worth thousands of dollars, if you will. And, you know, Hollywood is calling all the time as far as, uh, you know, happy feet too. And in all fairness to you, I mean, there's probably hundreds upon hundreds when you go on Wikipedia and you look at Patrick Fraley, uh, television, uh, film that we are acquainted with, Toy Story and so forth. So uh, how many have you done? between the television and probably quite a bit, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I think I did nine years on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We did about 200 shows, and I've seen probably about four. Wow. And I understand where people don't watch what they did. I, I, I've been busy doing stuff. I'm talking particularly about performing. I figure when I get really old, I'll sit in a chair and watch myself all day and all night and (laughs)
0: die. You're probably too busy working. I mean, and that's, people say that, that the ones who are working, uh, they just do their thing. They don't, they don't look back. They're not obsessed with their voice.
1: I don't know. I don't think so. Um, But just to clarify a little bit, Michael, I work less now that I'm older because, uh, you know, you can't teach with wisdom. Wisdom allows me to, like a heat-seeking missile, to find out what a problem is. But if I give them my wisdom, it's just another set of rules. We only learn by a little pain. We do it wrong, then we do it right. And uh, God has blessed me to have a passion for performing and teaching. And, oh, in the last 20 years, I've moved towards more teaching, and i it's a joy.
0: You are acclaimed and you go on different websites, Dave Cavassier and other people that are in, you know, write about voiceover and your name always comes up, Pat Fraley. By the way, and when people do go on your website and let me just pull it up here, (laughs) patfraley.com, you have a whole bunch of, in my opinion, underrated. These are amazing audiobooks that you are offering and I listened to one and the quality behind it. Now, you even had someone who's who is it, the, uh, the announcer for the People's Choice Awards and helping you do that and putting that together uh, and assisting. Uh, in my opinion, this could be a couple. easily a couple hundred dollars. I think you're charging $40 for this, and, uh, and I don't know why. Because it's, it's just, you know, if you combine a hundred or maybe, no, if you, like, maybe like 10 different lessons combined. Um, this would be equal to at least 10 or 20 lessons with an actual VO Pro.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, I started putting together tricks, and I think my first collection was the greatest cartoon tricks ever smuggled out of Hollywood. Then I came up with more. Then I have a home study course on it. The, the tricks are something that you really don't you don't learn from people. You kind of pick it up. And it's a combination of things that you have picked up along the way. And uh, the four words I try not to use is back in the day. But uh, earlier in animation, we had no guests. We had to come with three different characters for a 20-minute show. So we were lear- really learning on the job. And I combined things that I learned from other people, like watching Mel Blanc cry like a baby. You want to hear that? yes. Somebody said, Mel, do your baby. Well, he pulled a handkerchief out of his uh, pocket, put it up to his mouth, and did
0: this.
1: (laughs) And it was like magic.
0: Yes. So,
1: yeah, I put that in my pocket. Then I remember auditioning for Krang, the evil blob of a villain on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, uh, oh, I didn't have one in my back pocket, so I had to throw it against the wall, but it said that he was, uh, funny. Well, um, I got the sound of striking all that thing, and then I thought, well, let's see, my, my boys, by the way, were all, we had four boys in five years, and so, oh. so I mean, you know, they were like bratwurst, they had no features, I mean, you know, here we are, <laughs> we had so many kids, and so... I remember uh, when i yell at him or something, I'd get mad. I'd get heartburn. Mm. I'd happy, put that, oh, oh, down, oh. And so I thought, well, that's sort of a roar, roar sound. Well, <laughs> I knew they wouldn't let me do that between lines, so I had to do them on. So what did I do? As for a tr- As a trick, I went back to elementary school where I learned how to dog backwards. So every so often on the last line, I would go, you know, uh, something like, um,
0: this is what I get for surrounding myself with
1: idiots. (laughs) And I'd talk backwards. And it was my way of doing kind of a heartburn sound because I thought that would be kind of clever for a villain, you know, and kind of funny.
0: See, the thing behind all this is that I don't think people quite understand the talent that's involved to do that. I mean, it sounds like, okay, funny voices, things like that, joking aside. This is, this is for a select few people who get to do this, and you've done it your whole life. And it's been really other than, I think it was, I heard, like advertising sales or something a long time ago, just like as a kid, this is really the only job you've had.
1: It is the only job, and I started at four, Michael. I was a kid that would die really good playing army so everyone wanted to shoot me so not only would i die but then i go okay here's how you do it you arch your back and you spit a little and go Ach, and i was teaching and performing <laughs> at four they just started paying me along the way and i i must say to you and it's part of being a christian isn't i take no credit for what i do i mean Here's my here's my uh uh my skill set. My mom was funny, my dad taught me a work ethic, I was reasonably good looking and tall and white. And that's what I had. And that's what I have now. I mean, when I went to Cornell and got a Master of Fine Arts and I had a living wage and full ride scholarship. That had to do with much more of what I've talked about than anything else. I was always a clever guy, uh, but uh, that's the advantage that I had. So really, it's like me jumping in the deep end of a swimming pool, going to the shallow end, then jumping into another pool.
0: Yeah, there's something there though that you know people attempt to do this, and a lot of people try to do uh, animation. Though, um, what do you do? You think it's kind of like yeah, how can I say? You know, the people who are in, in American Idol or wannabes, if you will, and then the people who really understand melody and tempo and all that. How much? would you say characteristics or attributes are involved in in someone succeeding as such as yourself? I mean, um, the work ethic, number one, you mentioned that. But the timing, the ability to do uh, a million different voices, uh, are people surprised that, are they leaving things out when they try to attempt to do this?
1: You know, I don't know. I've had some students that are so incredibly talented that I'm shocked that they didn't advance. Then I've had other ones that are modestly talented, but worked. They were more Clydesdale than racehorses. Mm-hmm. And they, they uh, excelled. So it's a slippery slope. I do know that uh, being modestly smart, not real smart, is, is helpful. And um, also w- the willingness, because I grew up without uh, fear. I had no fear. And so that's, that's helpful because when somebody said, uh, uh, be a Frankenstein monster, then be a mattress and a donkey, I'd go, oh. <laughs> I didn't go, why, why? No, I just did it. And so I've always had the gift from God of committing immediately to whatever.
0: I want to say that, you know, just based on who you are, again, people that go to, you know, uh, anywhere, uh, Google, Wikipedia, certainly your website, they look at Patrick Fraley and they see that the body of your work from Scooby-Doo to Disney, everything, uh, voiceovers galore. And for how many years, again, of over 40,
1: but yeah, about 45, I think.
0: About 45 years. But one of the bonuses in having you on is, and I, and I found that after inviting you is that you said that you are a Christian, as you said, and, and that you wanted to share your testimony as well, which I thought was, you know, how many people are that bold where they say, well, I'd like to do that, you know? And of course it's a Christian program as well as we have secular interviewers But, um, so that was such a bonus for, for us.
1: Well, you see, it's a bonus for me. Uh, I, I, uh, came to Los Angeles about 1979, about 83. I, I started going to church with my wife who had become a Christian. It was shocking to me. You know, it was like, really? I mean, here's my young bride falling asleep with a Bible on her chest. Hello. (laughs) And um, I was one of those guys that folded his arms in the back of the pew. But then it started making sense because I'd never really studied the Word. I'd never studied the Bible, and I never really had any questions asked. And slowly, I became i realized that this was true, that everything was true. All my questions were asked. And I became a Christian, was baptized in about 84. But, Michael, during my journey in the next 20 years or so, I found, and I was taught by my pastor, John McCart, that if somebody had a pervasive sin that they dragged along in their life, perhaps they were not saved. And six years ago, I gave myself again to Christ. And I've been reasonably I've been reasonably satisfied with my journey since then. We're always warring against the flesh. And yes. we but we get up and we look toward walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. And that's my journey.
0: Yes. I mean, and you started out, you were a Mormon, I believe. And yes. Yeah, and then you became a Christian, but I just think that's great that you're willing to talk about that. Let's talk about your voiceover career, because you um, know, and having your wife be, I'm sure, your best friend, uh, I imagine that your life would have been very different if she didn't appreciate all the different voices and sounds that you've made all through the years.
1: You know, Michael, her <laughs> background is hard, and I met her 51 years ago. We were dating, as they say, uh, 51 years ago. We just... Uh, had our 40th anniversary. Wow. And so her background is art, but really, I mean, you know, I remember the first time I brought a contract back from Hanna-Barbera. And in those days, they were about 500 bucks. So I bring her the contract, and I hand it to her in her hands. And she looks at it and goes, oh, that's two and a half pairs of shoes.
0: (laughs) Um, You want her over there. You got her at hello.
1: Yes, well she's a delight because she doesn't uh she's got a little different focus on what I do. She understands it, but I don't I don't go to her for ideas on stuff. You know, once in a while I'll say, "Do you like this demo?" and she goes, "Too loud." I mean, she's <laughs> the perfect civilian, she knows. But it's it, she is a delight, Renee, because uh, again, she understands what I'm up to. But she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't uh, you go whole hog on it.
0: Well, I was on Roku just the other day, you know, watching television and, and looked at Happy Feet 2. and then I find out that you were part of that movie.
1: Was I? I thought it was Happy Feet One, <laughs> maybe Two. Well, that's a funny story because I've I was seen both <laughs> by, by casting person Barbara Harris, and I was so full of myself. Oh, and I drive down to Warner Brothers and I get on the lot and I get to the booth and then the guy says, all right, we'd like all the, and he's a Australian, we'd like all the actors on that side and over there, you you four, you're the, oh gosh, I wish I could think of it a lot here. <laughs> you're the aged counselors. Aged I was counselors. hired to be an old penguin. But uh, I did get to get in there and uh, they needed the the sound of ice cracking and I was able to, you know, (laughs) I was able to do that. That made me a pro for the for the day.
0: See now we again we laugh at that sort of thing, okay? But how many people can do that? That's that's the thing. I mean, to be able to make these, and that's where the word artist comes in. To be able to, it's not just hey, does my voice sound great? And yes, your voice sounds great, uh, but to be able to make these sounds and noises on a whim, do they appreciate what you do?
1: Well, they do. They do appreciate it. But you know what I think it is, Michael. I think more than being able to do the sound of cracking ice or whatever, it's a lack of fear and the lack of, it's, it's the courage that I was given to me to try things. Because many people, all their lives have been doing what's requested. They're just reluctant to do it in front of other people. And for some reason, I've lacked that. And I think, the, well, it all gets back to um, the idea that through my parents, God gave me a lack of fear. I had no lack of fear of starting my career in Australia. People go, oh, how courageous of you to go to Australia to work. I, work. I didn't want to walk the streets. Why not? <laughs> so there was no fear involved. And
0: um, now, now everybody wants to go to Australia. It's the most beautiful place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was back in the, back there when you had to emigrate. And there were only two American actors in the whole country. There was me and Mel Gibson. Wow. And Mel was is four years younger than I, and he was still in school. So I, I had my run of the country as an American. So it was a great place to start. But again, no fear. And I think when you're around kids you'll see that they'll do all sorts of silly stuff and they don't have a fear.
0: That's a shame that we lose that. I mean, yeah. having that be, it does happen. They say, well, you know, be a grown up." I mean, think of any other walk of life, any other kind of career where they say, you know, in some corporate board meeting with a bunch of stiffs and they, and you start acting like that, <laughs> you know, and you're getting paid millions, you know, hundreds of thousands, thousands of dollars and, uh, you know, where's my calculator, you know? And over a period of 45 years. But um, I guess life is really a, a stifling if you can't, uh, you know, get past the fear. Um, but you talk about that in your, your audio series about that. Uh, I think it's 56 Slick Tricks, that one that, uh, you know, we tend to be like this good actor type, right? You have to read it in a perfect way, the way you think it's it should be read. and. If one thing I got out of that is that there couldn't be further from the truth. It's the one who takes chances and has a different spin on it, and does it in a different sort of way, which you've demonstrated in other interviews. That you know, people tried it in a very common way, and then you tried it in a way that perhaps no one ever heard it before, and that's what gets people you know noticed in voiceover. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, you're so right uh, on two two facts. One of them is that uh yes i've had some difficulty when i tried to be a grown up and there is pain involved because you do get admonished for it and it has been a wonderful place but probably the only job that i could ever do that i could fully realize but the second part has to do with accepting that we're all we're all different mm. and accepting the part that you're going to fail, but failure is a perception and uh, getting doing silly stuff and being in a position to be able to, it has been a, a blessing to me, but it all comes down to the way it was given to me and the lack of fear. And I, I know I've said that like three times now, but I've never seen anybody that had a successful audition that didn't do something wrong. It's the doing something wrong. It's doing something that gets attention. When I was at Cornell and studied acting, uh, they always told us, yes, make bold, committed choices and taught us acting. If we ever would have said, yeah, but how do I get attention? They would have kicked me out. (laughs) But that's important. You not only have to do it good. Let me put it this way. They don't want best. They want good and different. And I was always a little different, and I must go back to this. I think it's based on a neuroses I had as a kid. I think that when I was a kid, my joke about it, by the way, Michael, is my mother told me that I was special at three, and the rest of my career was trying to prove her correct. (laughs) Well, it was wrong. I'm just a guy, but I got a career out of it. And... I think as a child, I was afraid that I couldn't control my life, so I could control little characters. And so I did characters, and it was sort of like having puppets or having a community of of characters that I named, like Gleason did and like Jonathan Winters did. And that kind of made me feel better about life.
0: I was going to ask you about Jonathan Winters because of, you know the, the, he just kind of <laughs> stream of consciousness in some of the interviews. And uh, did you know him well? Were you friends with him?
1: Uh, I wasn't. I didn't know him well, but I worked with him and knew him. In matter of fact, it's a funny way I got to know him. I was at a sporting goods store in Hollywood with Renee. We were looking for some camping stuff. And he walked by, and there was sort of a a strange little step-down area, Star Sporting Goods, and it was sort of like a little arched entrance down. Well, he was walking by. He was apparently buying hats for some kind of judging of a tennis match in the Philippines. Who knows, right? (laughs) And he looked down on Renee and me and grabbed the salesman and said, these two want to be married. And I looked up. (laughs) I recognized who it was and I grabbed Renee, who was, she was up for it. She didn't say anything, but she went for it. I said, and I grabbed her and went down below him and he was above on the stairs. And I said, well, yeah, we do. We don't know a lot about getting married, but we like cars. <laughs> and that was the beginning of 20, 25 minutes of playing with him.
0: Wow. That's, and, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and later on I get to know him because they hired him do, to do Papa Smurf. Can you believe it? We were Smurfs and we have Jonathan Winters in the cast. He talked about overkill. And I got to know him and he he was interesting because he would not access where he got a thought. For example, uh Gordon Hunt was directing. It was a Smurfs episode. It was running long. And Gordon had us do or ask Jonathan doing their take. Well, he pretended to chew gum, and he went, no way, can't do it. Shadows are 14 <laughs> inches long, 14 feet long, no way, no, no Out. That's the last shadow of the day. And he, what he had done in his mind, he became a grip of a film, and it was late in the day, and the shadows were too long, and they couldn't do another take. But that's how he kind of squeaked out his um, irritation of going long.
0: People, get yeah, I'm getting you. I got you. And, and it seems, though, that in order to do this, it's not just some weird sound that, that a person can make or a character. It it seems like you have to buy 110% into what the character in, in your mind. Like, you have to believe you really are that person because when you watch someone like Jonathan Winters or yourself, you, know, you, you almost transform into that person. So it's, it's not like you're playing games. Do you ever feel like...
1: Oh, yeah, um, yeah.
0: You oh, can yeah, slip off into, not, not into a mental health facility or anything like that. You know, I mean, I'm just I saying.
1: Tell you, it gets a little weird because some characters and some actors go that far. Christian Barnes, uh, Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, you know, I totally understand where he gets freaked out and gets mad because somebody bothers him during his process. I'm referring to Christian Bale or Barnes. Yeah, I
0: think, so. I think yeah, he did what? American Psycho. Is that right?
1: Yes. I get that because they get that far in the character. Now I don't, but I do uh, believe that mo- the modicum of success that I've had with characters is, is, is really becoming the character. It's, it's a, uh, it's really a matter of thinking and feeling as that character does. That is part and parcel to a successful performer. And it, it was are an thinking and feeling that character. Like, if I do a character like what who I call Eddie Graffiti, okay, I'm Michael. I'm doing him now. You know, I'm doing. Look, he's a guy. He's playing the secret. You know, he he doesn't want to shoot you, but he will because <laughs> you have to. You know. So I'm thinking and feeling like Eddie. Yeah, and I think that. It's developing a character, and I, of course, teach, is the greatest unheard thing you'll ever hear, or witness. It's thinking like that character that that really uh, is delightful to people.
0: That's what I was going to say. Is that you have to buy in like that, and um, but is it like music? You know, how since you watch uh, PBS and they show a uh, symphony and and all these different you know instruments coming in and chiming, in, it's their turn, their time, whether it be the uh, the tuba. And, uh, or the, the triangle. Um, is it very musical to you? Is it, is it much like a symphony when you have other people around you and it happens so quickly and, and uh, there's a lot of melody in, in these voices? Uh,
1: in a word, no. I am so non musical, Michael. I mean, you know, in church, I pretend I to clap so I don't, I'm not off, and then someone comes in post and puts it in right. I'm so bad. I'm south of white rhythm. So you and clap.
0: Are you, are you Pentecostal? Are you clap? I'm just joking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, you know, I, I'm so bad musically. I mean, I can't sing a note. I know it's a psychological thing. But uh, no, I don't have the metaphor of music. Many of my students do, and I think it's marvelous, and it's true. But uh, I think that has to do with, th- uh, with uh, listening. To other people for me it's not just talking it's listening too, and that's another skill uh when somebody's on a roll they're doing well like i have my, one of my best friends is brad garrett who was rob on everyone loves raymond oh yeah and uh, six foot uh, he's six foot eight and hmm. uh he learned to act on that show because when i'm with him i'm just feeding him lines Because he's so funny. Why would I try to compete with that? I don't want to aggrandize myself. I just like a laugh. And listening is important. And so part of it is becoming a character, thinking and feeling like him, but knowing when to shut up. Hmm. But not musical for me.
0: And when it comes to the actual characters, have you ever been surprised before they actually did the animation that in your head the character actually looked exactly like they came up upon the screen, whether it be television or film, or uh, does that ha- ever happen? Oh, gosh. Uh,
1: well, first of all, a lot of times we see a, uh, a profile or a sketch of the character, and then we try to realize that. So there's no surprise there. But I remember once um, I did a, a raid commercial, and they flew me up to Portland, and I did it up there. And, they, and back then, they were actually shooting on 16 millimeter. my performance. Well, later, I'm watching TV, and there's a cockroach <laughs> with a helmet on that looks like me. It was <laughs> so weird. But uh, a lot of times, you know, I look at what uh, the many animation programs I've done, and I just think they were a Marvel's radio show. And I'm disappointed by the animation. Now I'm not talking about Pixar. You know, they're amazing at what they do. It's so subtle, but a lot of the stuff that I've done is on seven, which means they're like almost a puppet show. Mm. They're not really uh, designed that well. Uh, And so I got the best of it by being in the session and recording ensemble with the other actors, but uh, a little disappointed by the animation. Certainly, before disney got involved and they got involved in 83 or 84 with gummy bears on 83 then it got a lot better and animation is better now and more diverse in its style than it ever was before
0: yeah and in making a comment like that there's no one who could do that but you because you know you remember of course with Hanna Barbera. we talked about mel Blanc, and uh you know bugs bunny and everything and a million more and uh, porky pig and um How has it changed as far as the process? Do you enjoy the process more now, or did you enjoy it back then?
1: Well, I don't work as much as I used to. But what's happened is there's less ensemble work with the full cast in one room. They'll bring in two or one and uh, somebody else. And certainly for video games, it has always been that way because that's really a puzzle. But it's happening with animation as well. When I do my parts, uh, I did a show uh, called uh, Hanazuki a year ago or so. And I was alone. And so they cut me into the show like they cut everybody in. We go one by one. And it's not as much fun to do. Now, Pixar is able to accomplish that and has from the get-go. When you think of Toy Story, you think of uh, Tim Allen's work with... uh, um,
0: Buzz Lightyear.
1: Yeah, but, but uh, and Tom Hanks, right? And that great, you know that great scene where Woody goes off on um, Buzz and goes, you are a toy, you are a little toy, right? Yes. He goes crazy. And Tim Allen says to him, splits his hand and gives him a little sign and says, you're a sad little man and you have my pity. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, guess what? They have all these editors that said, well, I remember Tim did an ad lib six seven months ago that we would be perfect there because they only were together a few times, but they're able with a lot of work and a lot of engineers and a lot of kids really that, that work 90 hour weeks, you know, to do that. In fact, uh, Ed Asner, who's another dear friend of mine, I, I was talking to him about doing up and, uh, he, I I would be surprised if he had one session with the boy. He played the older man. People
0: yeah, don't boy. know about that. I mean, they, there's so many other. I'm sure I want you to finish, but they, probably people don't know all that goes on behind the scenes here. and Probably are very surprised. I think you ought to write a book about that.
1: Well, you know, I I had a it, um. What do they call it? My retina went blind. Hey, I went blind in one eye. So what did I do? I wrote two books, (laughs) you know, so maybe if I get ill, I'll write a book, another one. But uh, all the stories I have don't mean anything unless they're in the context of teaching. Hmm. That's what I found. Otherwise, and I've read some books that are all, you know, uh, lines by actors and stuff. And it's like a box of chocolates. Who wants to eat the whole thing?
0: I agree with that. I found that when in listening to your, you know, I want to listen to one and I know you have a whole bunch uh, and actually I'd like to probably get, them, you know, but the, uh, the 56 uh, slick tricks that you have in covering so many things in the industry that uh, it's true that you have to, you're saving people an awful lot of time because. Well,
1: you do, yes, you do save people time and that's part of why you get hired. For example, where did you grow up, Michael?
0: Uh, Huntington, Long Island.
1: Long Island. Okay, Huntington. Okay, so say I have to sneeze. You can't go at chew. So why not go... Right? <laughs> it's like a it's sneeze. I grew up in Seattle. It's <laughs> Seattle! Right? <And> so <laughs> those things save time, and they're kind of amusing and fun to do. Or, like, say I'm supposed to be sleazy, and I go, well, Michael, uh, I don't think I can finish that pie. And I I suck air through my tooth, which is so gross. But little things like sucking air or constricting for no purpose. Like you go, let's see, your name is uh, Michael James Warren.
0: And there are people who try try to do this.
1: But you, you collect different ways of being sleazy and you lay them out on the line it saves them time and accomplishes what the producer
0: needs. Yeah, and the blind spot, and this is the area really where you come into play and have for, for so many years, they don't know what to look for. And people think that it's just maybe they have an idea uh, for voice talent and only to find out the casting directors look for a whole a different element which you cover in Well, the there,
1: a writer can't spell having a drippy nose. But if I put a little saliva in my mouth and move it with my tongue up to my hard palate it's really sleazy like uh say I say something like uh you <laughs> know uh, i haven't seen you around these parts before
0: oh,
1: <laughs> oh it's <laughs> horrible a you that <laughs> <you spell> <laughs> wow and it, it takes some time and it goes that guy's sleazy
0: <laughs> and, and do people ever, I mean, you know how there's a professionalism, you, you go over someone's home for a, a party, maybe a Super Bowl party and say, Hey, hey, pack. go ahead and do that. I mean, do they know not to ask you or if they, does that bother you? If they, if they ask you to make those type of sounds, uh, the ones that you get paid a lot of money to do.
1: Never. It's so much fun <laughs> because, you know, a voiceover has a modicum of uh, Attention around other people and about fans. But if you want to go to a restaurant, just have a meal and no one knows who you are, they don't. <laughs> so when people say, do that thing you do and do that, oh, it's fun. Because you we're know, not, I don't take it personally, like, oh, it's something I wouldn't share here.
0: Well, there are a lot of people who get uptight about that because they figure that, you know what, that this is something that I guess it's something with their time that, you know, my time's valuable and that costs money and things like that. I, I don't think people understand the value that people are willing to pay. You know, and so sometimes maybe they get a little too big for their britches. I guess you're not one of those people, and maybe well, that's. I
1: gotta tell you away. honestly, and I have a heart for this one because I have friends that are stars, and believe me, I, I once had lunch with Sally Struthers, a friend of mine, and it was like a handshaking tour with South America. I mean, everybody came to her table because they they liked the character she did, and they, they were so appreciative. It's tough. And some friends like Ed Asner even, it's tough uh, because it's different for them. For for example, if they went up to Ed, although he's so gracious, and said, uh, do that line about spunk, I hate spunk. Well, it's something about doing something that they've seen versus only heard. Mm -hmm. There's a difference there. And I don't know too many voiceover guys that would take umbrage at a request of doing a little bit of a character
0: two different things i've seen i've seen you on in many interviews and of course i'm just looking at you with the eyebrows and everything and i'm saying gee whiz you know he actually looks a little bit to me like jack nicholson and i was just saying he your your face as far as the way you would uh, you know make a certain gesture with your eyebrows lo and behold all of a sudden the uh, interviewer asked you to do this impression, which, which you are very well known for doing the Jack. And
1: Michael, 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 you keep telling me about the good life because it makes me want to puke.
0: <laughs> and I heard... There, I, I,
1: I drop into Nicholson and drop into different characters that I do uh, for fun. With a lot of characters, you sort of morph into them physically, <laughs> but sometimes not. For example, I got a call, I auditioned, got the role, went to Disney, all oh, private parking. I go into the sound stage to do the narration of a star that's not available for that time. It's a scratch track. When he is available, he'll go in and do it. So I go in, I watch the screen, I do the narration, and the director's there and the editor, and the engineer says, that's the closest match I've ever heard in my life. Wow. So I get in my car and I'm driving off the lot and I'm feeling pretty good. And I think, wow, you sound exactly like Robert Redford and he's 80. <laughs> 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 but I understand that, you know, Robert Redford is really quiet and he, uh, he thinks when he talks. And so I, I have the same kind of dialect because I'm from the Northwest and uh, he's trying to prove that he's smart, not just a pretty boy. I understand that concept. And so, but I don't feel like Robin Redford, but later I heard it. And I went, my goodness, that's the best narration I've ever done. I'm going to do him all the time.
0: What film, what was that in? So we can listen. Um,
1: well, they, they use him in the film. One, I'll tell you about that, but it was a peace dragon. Okay. One of the peace dragon, but see, here's the deal on ADR and doing looping that there's no, in the contract, it says when the actor is available, well, they're not available but for four or five hours. So in order to show different, differently written scenes or uh, um, they want to change something here and there, they get sound-alikes until the time when they have Robert, call me Bob Redford, for that two or three hours, and then they get him to do everything and finish it up. But you, know, you can imagine with producers, they want to show a scene and they don't have the actor there, they get a sound-alike.
0: And do they appreciate that? These actors say, gee, whiz. That was some It <laughs> sounds like me.
1: Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, there's a gal that did uh, that, that that did sound alike for another person in Pete's Dragon, and she came up to the gal was doing the, the sound alike said you did so much better than I did. When I do it, I'm gonna do it like you, okay? <laughs> but then there's other people. Uh, when I did uh, Buzz Lightyear, Tim Allen was not happy about it. He thought, "Well, why why can't my brother do it? I mean, Tom's brother Jim does him." And so, really, I asked the uh, vice president, president of character voice over at Disney. Yeah, I think I ought to say hi to Tim Allen, and thank him for, for what he's done. And he went, "I don't think so."
0: Yeah, oh boy,
1: probably oh, not a good idea. So I did.
0: not? I thought he was a nice guy.
1: Well, it's not a matter of being nice or not. He just didn't like that aspect. Hmm. I don't
0: know. That is interesting. Uh, I mean, you would probably appreciate more than anything. Do you appreciate people like Rich Little when you you go down and the list of people who can do these other kind of voices?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. I worked uh, uh, on camera on a TV show back in the day called uh, Off the Wall with John Rourke. Who was on Fridays and did uh, Reagan and Bob Hope? He did a lot of impressions. I loved it. I love impressions a lot. I the, the Gorsian and all those guys. I mean, I just love them. You know, I can't do it. I, I do a few, but uh, sure, I love to watch other actors do stuff.
0: Getting back to your teaching, just briefly here, um, the fact is that people are very successful in the business when they go to Pat Freely. Uh, yourself as a as a voiceover teacher and uh was there someone who you know made an impact in your life as far as uh was the kind of teacher you say I'd like to pay it back and be that kind of teacher because uh you know you can hear it very clearly uh just on one of the audiobooks 56 uh, slick tricks um the kind you're very professional about it. i mean you you know you're having a lot of fun we're having fun right now but it's very easy to listen to um, very to the point and extremely helpful with tons of value. So tell us a little bit more about your teaching career. And, and, and was there one teacher that had an impact on you?
1: Well, the uh, one impact I had was my sixth, sixth grade school teacher, Eleanor Eldon, who liked me. It was the first time I really knew that she liked me. And later, uh, and I'll see this gal um, in about, ooh, about three weeks, Carol Simmons taught me drama in high school, and she was very encouraging. But, Michael, to get back to why I teach and I'm not tough on students, I mean, I find there's a way of speaking the truth in love. I never shine them on, but if they have a badass or something that's kind of serious, I'd bring them along quietly alone and say, you know, that, that, that yes, you have the deal breaker, but i got somebody that can help you. Uh, uh, the reason why I, t- I teach that way is because I was taught so horribly uh, at Cornell. They were so mean. Really? In fact, Bill Sadler who's a wonderful character, William Sadler and I were in class together and we were both hicks. I mean I was from Washington State. He was from South Buffalo on a farm and we were in there studying acting and we'd see the director take some actors to task for a bad, uh, sketch or something and just, just, you know, cutting flesh from the bone. And one of the two of us, Bill or I sitting together would lean to the other and go, well, I guess I'm not going to do that. And, uh, I find that that kind of, I mean, it's hard enough to get around the fear without introducing it while you're teaching. And I don't. I don't teach this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, they'll get that. What they need to do is be encouraged and encouraged to be open and to let things flow. And that's what I do.
0: What you're saying is so true, because I know that uh, they're out there. These uh, teachers who are, they think their way is the highway. And yet, you know, the, you appreciate, I guess, the palate. Of uh, the emotional range, the background, the history of people that you appreciate that everybody's different. And uh, that's a good place to start.
1: Well, Michael, I think that teachers that are mean, uh, they have an agenda. It's about them. It's not about learning. It's about teaching. And I'm in the learning business.
0: How often do you have lessons I mean is it all the t- is it 9 to 5 kind of do you have room for more clients people who are listening or is it for a select few that have um you know they're pretty advanced
1: No it's not it's not really advanced because a lot of times you're breaking down some habits that they got into that are wrong um I don't teach privately right now what I do is I have home study courses where they sign up and we go back and forth. I listen to what they do. They send me MP3s. I comment, have them do it again. Hmm. But, but so they get their best shot at doing it right. And I do it that way. And then I teach events around the country where I have 10 only, I only take 10 students, 12 too many. And uh, that's the way I teach. But the, the, the way I teach is simply to encourage them and guide them into doing it, uh, right. So they get that confidence because, Hey, if I could teach confidence, it would be the last thing I ever taught. But it turns out the gateway to confidence is having skills.
0: It seems like it's something that a lot of people would like to try. I mean, that's for sure. And for some, it becomes something big. Others is just a, I guess, a passing phase. We're talking about people, just a general interest in, in animation or voiceovers and the full range of voiceovers. and um, I guess it's a good thing everybody, you know, thinks they could do it.
1: Hey, I think people should go ahead and do it. I mean, when I was at Whitman college as an undergraduate, I once asked Jack Fryman, who was a wonderful teacher who tried to teach me to act poor man, but he tried, Uh, but he would say, well, there's not a lot of people that become actors out of my program, but we're making some wonderful audiences. And I think that, people that get into music or they get into doing voice, they may not make a career out of it, but, you know, they, they understand more. It's like, I guess, wine. If you drink wine, you get a taste for it. Me, it's like, well, that's red and that's white. You know, I don't know, but other people have a great appreciation for things because they understand them.
0: Well, one thing I gather from you and just uh, looking at interviews and so forth, is you're very aware of the human condition. You're very aware of other people. I think you have to almost be like that. I mean, is it fair to say that you almost have to be like a psychologist with some of the characters and then some of the other people that you deal with? And um, and how important is awareness uh, as far as voiceover work?
1: I think psychologists are like us. We're not like psychologists. I think that I think. A person should be aware of other people around them, and part of that is the psychology. When I see a student and they're a little terse or they're tight, um, that's why I don't do uh, Skype and I don't do uh, lessons because I can't see their fear. I can't see how they manifest being upset. I have once had a student, I said, Are you ready to go? Yes. All right, uh, we'll just let it when you want. At the top? Yes. Well, she was being terse because she was nervous. Mm. But so, so I think that's a natural order of a teacher is to understand their student and they're all different. Every one of them is different. This is an unusual interview. I love it.
0: Oh, that's cr- great. <laughs> that's good. I like that you say know, unusual. Now, have never you...
1: given an interview like this ever.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I appreciate that. I was going to say, if you ask my wife, it's because I have ADHD. She's like, How, you're supposed to ask that question first. Why do you wait until the end? Well,
1: it turns out that ADHD is the key to a lot of success.
0: I heard, I've heard that. Do you have that too or no?
1: Yeah, I do. I, uh, I can't read a sentence without making a mistake. I mean, i got a I got a reputation for being loose and laughing at myself. And starting over with good ideas, it was all a cover because I couldn't get through a sentence. I, I think my my aspect of being on the spectrum of ADHD has to do with uh, not understanding or not being able to read well and uh, finding ways of uh, hiding it. Yeah, in that area.
0: When you say read well, I mean, you're talking about just if you were going to be silent with yourself in a book, because obviously you've earned your whole living, you know, reading out loud.
1: Well, here's what happened. When I was in high school, my dad bought me a portable tape recorder. And I mean, it was like 120 bucks. It's like a thousand bucks. That's right. Well, I would record myself doing parts and I would memorize a play pretty much or all the scenes where I was against somebody. Then I'd go in and pretend like I could read well. When I got to Hanna-Barbera, I would go uh, into the secretary's room, they called them then, the assistant's room, get the storyboards, go to the park, read it, bring it back, go around the other side to the front of the building, go in and pretend like I could read. Hmm. And and really...
0: um, That's a lot of overcompensation there.
1: Well, it's the, I had to. I had to work harder at it than hmm. other people, which was actually, in a sense, makes you, you talk about pulling it off the page. Well, it was never hmm. on the page for me. But the funny part was I would go along and know that I would not be able to accomplish a sentence. And I'm right in the middle, I'd go, wait, wait, I've got an idea. Right, yeah, I mean in a session. And then I'd go back, and of course I'd have a better idea because all that pressure was on. Or say I'd be reading something and my diction would go, and I'm reading along and I go, oh, oh no, I got Henry Fonda disease. I got no concepts I level about. <laughs> and they'd all oh, laugh, right? And then, uh, or they'd see me read a sentence and it would, the sentence would be twisted around a bit. And they thought, oh, that's because he's making it more, more logical. <laughs> well, I got a reputation for that, for being loose and being wild and having a lot of fun. Eventually, I remember stopping at a session, I don't know when, and I said, Look, I can't read a sentence without making a mistake. What are you gonna do? Fire me? It's too late. <laughs> that's what that's what my journey was in LA.
0: Interesting. Well, here's a question. I'm sure that. Well, I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but I know that uh, there's Billy Joel and there's Paul McCartney. And uh, I heard an interview where he said, well, there's one song I wish I'd written. It was uh, Just the Way You Are. Paul McCartney said that. Is there a character out there that you wish that you had voiced when you look back and think, uh, I wish I had done that character?
1: Gee. I don't think so. I think there's... Done a hundred
0: of life. them, maybe thousands upon that. <laughs> you've done more than, you know... It's, it's,
1: There's plays, Michael, that I didn't do, and I'm too old to do the parts now. There's that. But mainly it's not that. Um, I I have not had the uh, circumstance where, oh, it's too late for me. I can't do that. Or I'm not able to do that. I haven't had that experience. I sort of, God gave me the jobs I got, and I did the best I could with them. And... uh, I haven't sat around or spent much time going, gone. I wish I had got that part. I'm sure yeah. there was a, I'm sure a lot, well, oh, I remember I was cast as the tick in that show, and I lost it uh, because they went to somebody else or something like that. But I played all the villains, and I was happy. But I kind of wanted to do the tick, although Townsend Coleman did the tick brilliantly, so I was happy I didn't get it
0: you know, you have a lot of compassion on students and help building them up and, uh, and you've really never struggled, it seems, you know, so it's, it's amazing how you've, you have that kind of attribute that you really care about people and the success of them and, uh, and, and, and all the work that it takes, you know, again, your work ethic, but it doesn't seem like you struggled. A lot of people do out there and trying to make it, but I know they have fun doing it.
1: Well, you know, Uh, I have struggled, you know, it was three years before I got a regular role and um, my struggles, personal or private um, and self-doubt and wondering if I'll ever work again. They're all there, Mm. but I quell them. I mean, I remember going down Barham Way in L.A. down to Warner Brothers. I was recommended or requested to work on the Lego movie. And they wanted all the sound effects to come from like a little kid. It was a concept they had because the whole movie is about a little kids in his basement doing the game, right? They used a little of it. So there I am. I know I'm going in to do everything I learned as a kid. You know, you can imagine, Michael, they asked me to be, you know do laser guns and, you know, accelerator or up, transmission and stuff. You know, it was right up my so alley, right? <laughs> yeah. And on the way down to it, and I'm, uh, this only only uh, 10 years ago, I hear a voice in me go, yeah, but will you be able to do it today? And it was like, really? Are you-
0: <laughs> Where'd that come from?
1: <laughs> yeah, you're still here. Well, let's consider the odds. 2%? One? And so it's still there. The fear of, of performing, it's still there. But it gets less and less because you've done so much.
0: Did anyone ever ask you to name all? That? I mean, we're not going to do that, but I mean, from I don't think people understand the the scope of the work. I mean, just how many television programs that you have been on, uh, and voiced uh, films and so forth. And uh, I mean, you do. I'm sure after a while you do lose count. Do you ever? Do you ever get people from Europe asking you for for things as well? I mean, it's, it's all around the world, isn't it?
1: Well, you know, yeah, it is, and uh, I don't. And sometimes I'll go and. Google myself late at night, just like everybody else. That's yeah, true. <laughs> and I'll see like a list of stuff I've done and I go, Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? You know, I, I forgot that one. You know, it, it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of, uh, of stuff, but, uh, um, I don't get people uh, when I do a convention, which is rare and signed autographs and a lot of people talk about ADHD I mean, I'll be signing something, and they'll be doing an impression of my character, or they'll go in episode 124 when you blue meets Wildcat, and he says, what, do you have to, "What did he mean by that?" I mean, I don't know. The, uh, so there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember because I was busy working.
0: And in, in, in all fairness, just to mention a few: Casper's Scare School, Charlotte's Web, Two, Chicken Little. Garfield gets real. This is just a fraction of what you've done. Yeah. Happy, happy Feet Two. I am Legend. Monsters Inc. I mean, we know all these and television programs. You've been a real gem. You've you've spent a lot of time sharing your life with us, and uh, you know we couldn't be happier. And I'm I'm glad to know that you're you know a Christian as well. But uh, is there any anything else that you could think of when you? I don't know. I mean, we don't want to epitaph or anything, but when you think of no. your life, what what how would you how would you size up your life in uh, in a nutshell?
1: Well, I'll tell you this, Michael. There's three projects that I think of as good. One is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that was for money. It was a lot of money. And nine years (laughs) once a week with the same folks, Rob Paulson, James Avery, uh, Pete Renade, my cousin Cam Clark, Townsend Coleman. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, nobody did that. Even Bonanza. I mean, uh, Lorne Michaels didn't see uh, uh, the other characters every week, but I did. So I love that for the money. Number two, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which I did on audiobook, was the best because of the work in the, in the, in the criticism. I mean, I really got great criticism and it was the best I'll ever be because they had a Mark Twain, a great writer, and I took my time and did all the characters well. And the third project is kind of interesting. It was Tailspin, and I played Wildcat, the ignorant but lovable mountain lion, who sounded sort of like, Babu, is just a rancho banana? I forgot. <laughs> right? I, I and, love that. Oh, look, there's an no island on the map. <laughs> no, it's Guadalupe <Qualcomm> only. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it so, seems
0: like you really enjoy that. I mean, it, we enjoy hearing it, but it sounds like fun to do as well.
1: Well, it was. And uh, just to give you a little backstory on it, I was, uh, he was uh, drawn to be a stupid mountain lion. Well, I thought, well, that's not working. They were having trouble uh, casting it. How about I make him naive? So I went to naive, got the role later. And Disney would never have done this had they known. I didn't know. I found that the naivete came from my growing up around the deaf, because my grandfather taught the deaf and blind, but mainly the deaf, and there is a sound, you know, of a deaf person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, 20 years after I do it, I get a call from a psychologist. She says, I have a student that's very autistic. Can I... Well, you call her. And to this day, I talk to her almost weekly. Why? Because these kids that had autism, and that's what they called them in those days, they would get on a bus and go to school, a public school, because they had resources, and be humiliated by the other students. Then they'd come home, and after school, they'd see a special character, and they thought of Wildcat as being special, and all the other characters loving that character. Wow. And it meant a lot to her and to other people with autism. And that's my third superlative of what I've done.
0: There's a lot of people that you've met in this business who are so talented. And uh, yourself being in the conversation, as we mentioned, with Mel Blanc, other people as well. And, uh, you know, people should check you out. Patrick Fraley is uh, the gentleman's name. We've been talking to our special guest. He's one of the most sought-after voiceover teachers in North America, and he has been performing and teaching for 40 years and as a performer, created voices for 4,000 cartoon characters, probably more, placing him in the top 10 of all time to be cast in animated TV shows. As a teacher, you'll be happy to know he's guided more performers into meaningful voiceover careers than anyone in the history of VO instruction. He lives and works out of Hollywood Heights, California. Go on his website, patrickfraley.com. Get his, I've heard it, the 56 Six uh, slick tricks, but he has uh, hundreds more, and uh, and you'll be helped. You'll If you enjoyed this interview, you'll want to get some of those uh, as well. Um, couldn't be happier to have you on as a guest and sharing your life story with us. Thank you for being on the program.
1: Well, thank you, Michael. And uh, patfriendly.com, in the context, is my personal cell number and my personal email. And uh, I just made a decision somewhere along the line that. I'm available until I go to heaven, and then I'm
0: not. <laughs> Amen. You, people really ought to take advantage of that. I mean, because of what the wealth and the bank of information that you know, but it was so helpful just listening to this. I was actually extremely impressed. As you said, there are other books out there and things. that they, It feels like a box of chocolates. This is very personal, very intimate, and it's, uh, it's wonderful to, uh, to be able to have that kind of training and teaching. Thanks once again.
1: Oh, I'm grateful to you.
0: Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Auralex Acoustics has one mission.